1: Learn more at Marines.com Hello
2: everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Loglip Podcast. I'm your host, Conor O'Neill, joined today by Joe Thomas, Chris Beasley and Matt Jones. A full house as we pay tribute to Bill Kemright following his south passing on Monday night. Look and look ahead to Sunday's game against West Ham United. And look at the big news of today, which is Applader Corey appears to be closing in. On signing a new contract at everton joe you didn't join myself and chris it was a year off when we paid tribute to bill kenwright in a special roblewood podcast mm-hmm. where obviously you know as the evertons echo correspondent and someone who's covered the city of liverpool on a, a wider scale in, in various roles across the echo he was a man who touched the hearts of many and obviously you will have known from your time as covering hillsborough you know how close and affinity had to a lot of the families there
3: yeah it's, it's obviously very sad news and i think you're right there that when when people are uh, thinking about Bill Kenwright and his legacy, obviously the natural tendency is for Everton fans to view it through the prism mm. of Everton Football Club. Um, but really, I think his legacy has to be viewed in a much wider context, and and there you take into you know affected the the incredible career that he had in in the in the world of theatre, and also the um, the amount of support and the way in which he championed and was an ambassador for the city and, and so many causes that were close to his heart. You know, it's, it's obviously, it's a, you know, he's, he's a lad who grew up in Wavertree mm. and went on to become one of the leading lights in, you know, in the, in the world of theatre. And that's a, a phenomenal achievement that set apart from everything, obviously allowed him the platform to go into Everton, um, you know, at a boardroom level. Uh, but he had a significant career there as, as well. And, I think when you you look at the way in which he used the club as a as a vehicle to try and drive change and support change with the course, it's obviously you know will have, everybody will have seen reference to his his speech at the Hillsborough uh, memorial. We know obviously about his his support for you know for, for for that course and then so many others as well, like you know for the families of of, of Rhys Jones and even beyond the city as well. And I think that's something that. Has come out a lot to a lot more detail over the past few days. The number of, of courses that he put his time, energy, and, and money towards, and did it often privately, um, you know, in a, in a way that wasn't designed to to, to get external credit. Uh, and it's only really now that we are starting to see the true extent of that. Um, but it's clear that you know, it's, it's clear that he was a man who cared deeply for other people and and never really lost his roots. And whilst you know been a lot of focus on everton over the past 18 months and particularly some of the decisions that have been made at board level and the decisions that were made long before then they've got Everton in the situation where they are now i, I don't think anyone you know, certainly we well we certainly haven't ever suggested that any decisions you know, have been made without the the best intentions mm. um and i think that's also worth bearing in mind but you know it's clear that from, from every perspective he, he was a man that, um obviously deeply passionate about Everton, deeply passionate about the City of Liverpool and, and and using the privilege that he acquired through his own hard work
2: to help people. Matt, obviously, it seems quite fitting and, and quite, you know, weird in a way, I suppose, that Everton's first game after Bill Kenwright's passing is against David Moyes West Ham and a, a manager who I think, you know, will always be, you know, kind of closely connected and, and closely kind of, a close affinity, I think, with, with Bill Kenreich obviously he was Everton for a long time and it's quite fitness that I it, that Everton played it's David Moyes, a man who was, you know, so much part of the Bill Kenreich tenure Everton on, on Sunday afternoon.
1: Yeah, and I think Moyes himself said this week, didn't he, that, you know, the, the two of them forged a, a pretty, you know, this is verbatim, but a, a fearsome duo um, and, <clears throat> you know, even, even at that time you think back to it and while we look back at it now and they feel like halcyon days for Everton, you know, at the time there was um, criticism of Ken Wright, there was criticism of, of David Moyes at that time as well at, at various times, but it always felt very much like they had each other's back in, in that sense, and you know one could rely on the other to, to, to sort of always be there, and that was probably you know the bedrock of of what was such a, a strong era and profitable era for Everton at that point. So, so yeah, I suppose it, it is fitting in a way, and you know just just to echo what what, what Joe said there, you know my my override and memory of bill Cameron, you know i'm not just someone who i've met or know personally or, or know too much about um but you know my um, my granddad and my uncle go to the hillsborough memorial and they were they were they were there in 1989 and went for a spell where i used to go to that memorial with them every year and i was there in 2013 when, when bill stood and, and, spoke and it was it was amazing. It's it's one of those those moments that you just you just don't forget. It's sort of etched into my consciousness how I, I felt and feel, how I felt and how I, you know what my senses were like and how the, the the exact words and the terminology and the tone in which he delivered it. I think it was it was not only a, a very poignant and, and passionate speech, but I think it's incredibly brave to get up there as the, the mm. chairman of Everton in any circumstances at Anfield in front of a full cop and and speak about something like that. And I think the fact that he did it so well. Um, the way in which he was received, particularly by, you know, you see Margaret Aspinall whenever whenever she saw Bill or, or heard him speak about stuff like that. The the smile and, and the way in which she beamed at him, I think, said a lot about what he he did for for those families. Um, and the way in which he he represented himself and the way in which he he made sure that Everton were always intertwined in in the the fight for justice and, and everything that came after her as well. So I think. That was that was Bill Kenwright at his best for me, um, and he was a fantastic ambassador for the Hillsborough family. He was a fantastic ambassador for Everton and a fantastic ambassador for the city on that day.
2: And for anyone who, like I say earlier, hasn't listened to it, myself and Chris Beasley, he did record a, a Bill Kenwright Real Blue past special on Wednesday, in which we look back on the life of the Everton chairman and his legacy, both at the football club and the city of Merseyside. Chris, obviously looking ahead now to Sunday, Everton are back in Premier League action. When they make the trip to the capital to take on West Ham United, and it's a big game for Sean's Asian side after last weekend's two 0 defeat to Liverpool on Yeah, we, we,
4: say, we say it every week, don't we? Because because it is. Because you know when when every point um, is valuable, and we'll come on to that. Um, yeah, of course. Um, it also is an added point in season that they were meet. Was this fixture, this corresponding fixture last season? When the last time that the the Everton board did gather en masse, um, Farhad Mashiri attending his first fixture since the the five two capitulation to Watford in uh, October twenty twenty one. See, Chairman Bill Kenwright was there, and um, Kevin Feller was there, Denise Barrett baxendale Graham Sharp. They were all there um, to oversee what proved to be the the, the final game of um, Frank Lampard's uh, ten years, almost like to. So, <clears throat> Give it some justification from from the owner that when he did when they axed it swing that he'd actually seen one game uh, on the on the Lampard. So, yeah, it was and I do recall that day when Joe and I were down there. And um, West Ham United were playing their own um, sort of um, emotional tributes to David Gold. It's something we touched about on, uh, during the week. Um, <coughs> but, um if Bill Kenwright was the last of his kind in terms of being. You know that the homegrown local lad, a supporter, come owner, come chairman. Um, that probably uh, David Gold was the penultimate one in that respect. But yeah, looking forward to, to to this weekend. Of course, it it was always going to be an important fixture. But the fact that you know Everton played well for t- at points at Anfield and were unfortunate in in many respects. The fact that they came away empty-handed again means that you know this is. Another a crucial fixture in, in terms of um, picking up Premier League points, like we say, against uh, David Moyes' West Ham United, who just—I mean—sort of um, tells you all you need to know, doesn't it? And he's got them into Europe again on the back of them uh, winning uh, the uh, what's it to get this title right? Was it? It's changed since then. The UEFA Europa Conference League last season. They're now in the Europa League again, and I'm just coming back from their game at Olympiakos, where Everton are just trying to keep their heads above water. Joe.
2: It's an interesting one, Sunday, isn't it? Because obviously, Everton played well for a large part of, of last weekend at Anfield and before that, you know, played really well against Bournemouth when they, you know, tore them to shreds. I'm sure they won by more than 3 0, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest. But I wrote this after Bournemouth, and we're almost at the point now where Everton need to start winning games when they don't really need to win games, if, if that makes sense. It feels like every time yeah. they desperately need to win, they find a way to win. But it's in between now where they need to start picking up points and, and picking up victories that'll. Prevent them being in the positions where they need to win games.
3: Yeah, it's a legacy at the start of the season. To be honest, those results against the likes mm. of, of of Wolves, Fulham, I and yeah, you know, what increasingly looks like a, a poor point, a, a missed opportunity at, at mm. Sheffield United, and of course you then extend that onto to, to Luton Town. Evan had with the fixture list available to them, they had an opportunity for a head start, and they didn't take it. And the problem that they've got now is, whilst it has been the sporadic good performances led to a good result like Brentford like like Bournemouth however good some of the other performances have been ultimately they haven't yielded enough points mm. for Everton to climb significantly away from from safety and that's you know it's against that backdrop that that decision not to send canarty off last week was so significant because Everton are at a point at the moment where every single point that they can get has you know profound value to their season and you know obviously the aftermath of that match—that match has been overshadowed by you know, the news about Mister Kenwright. But you know, it was a real, you know, it's a real frustration that Evan—they deserved the chance to play that going into the last half an hour of that game on a level playing field. Mm-hmm. You know, the Liverpool hadn't looked like scoring against eleven men, against ten men. You know, it, it wouldn't have been harder for Evan to have kept them out and um, had Canalete also got sent off. And the problem is, it just means that when you don't get those results the pressure builds and builds and builds. And, you know, you're looking at this game against West Ham, you're looking at the game against Brighton uh, at home, which also comes before the next international break. And, and Everton could really do with taking some points mm. um, from them. Certainly, you know, if they could get a couple of draws, that would be a, a big help. Um, because again, you know, you look at, at December and December, and I know we're not in November yet, but December is a very, very difficult mm-hmm. month. And, yeah, you know, we saw the fixer changes that came out the TV yesterday. Some of those only make it worse, yeah. <laughs> <You> know, given, <laughs> give, given the time. And the some those, Thursday again. <laughs> given the time, some of those, uh, some of those kickoffs and the nature of some of those away games. And I think that at, at the minute Everton are held because Burnley and Bournemouth in particular are really, really struggling, really struggling. Again, last week, you know, the kind of the, the light at the end of the tunnel forever and after that Derby Day defeat was the fact that both of those sides lost games where you think that they would be targeting the points. But that run of form for those clubs is only going to continue for so long before something changes. Either they're going to get their houses in order and start picking up points, in which case they not have to be alive to that, or and certainly in the case of Bournemouth it feels like those managers are are really running out of time Mm. and they might you know the next international break coming up would be an obvious time you give them a new manager six weeks or so before the January transfer window to have a reshuffle and get new you know get a new face in and then that might spark an improvement so whatever they need to do is they need to stay ahead of the situation as much as they can and and unfortunately, the way in which the season's transpired, that's going to mean getting some big results over the next six weeks, um, next ten weeks. Sorry, um, you know, looking ahead to, to, towards the Christmas schedule, um, and some of those are going to have to come against teams where you don't expect it. West Ham and Brighton are two opportunities coming up. Obviously, with West Ham, as difficult as it will be, the, the one positive I can take from going into Sunday's game is obviously they've just come back from they will mm. just come back from Greece, where they've had a defeat, and a difficult game. And one thing that Everton do tend to do is they try to do this less effectively on, on Saturdays, is they start aggressively, they start quick. And if we saw this at Brentford, we saw it against Bournemouth. We saw it a few times last season against, against Brentford again, uh, and away at Brighton, um, particularly the Brighton game, they, they can make life very difficult for better teams if those teams aren't on it straight from the mm. beginning and if there's any fatigue. Or complacency within that West Ham start on, on on Sunday afternoon, then Everton could be in a position to take advantage. Of. The same goes for Brighton, who are also in European action. Um, you know, the week after, and like Evan uh, will be probably play the Carabao Cup game. I can't remember if Brighton have been knocked out of that or or, or not. Um, so Everton really had to go into these games with no fear, and they had to go into these games now and start hard and see where that takes them. Because the sad reality is, such as the nature. of the ambitions of the, the size that they're coming up against in, in the coming weeks that everyone could play very very well in both games and, and lose and if they were to lose both it's hard to see how the likes of you know barely Bournemouth, Luton, and someone will start mm-hmm. to make ground but i mean that will make for a very uncomfortable next international break and we all enjoyed i think the comfort of the last four that haven't come off the back of that form of <laughs> win and it yeah. was felt like all right things aren't problems aren't yeah. solved but but like i could sleep for 10 days <laughs>
2: yeah,
3: you know yeah. so yeah i'd like to be able to sleep you know in in, in in two and a half weeks time and the next
4: adventure comes around
2: Was that the first time you've slept for a good 10 days and took this, this, this job covering Everton? Well, yeah, I think I, I barely slept in about 16 months, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Can't say it's not being eventful, can you? Absolutely not, man. <laughs> But, Matt, it, it's the big thing on, on Sunday in that sense of Everton almost got a blueprint of how to play away from home. You know, like Joe's touched on it there at of this season, you see Brentford. Sheffield United, I thought they started really well and, and should have been probably 2 up if Dan Duma passes the ball instead of shooting. And Obviously, last season, we seen them, you know, Forest away, Brighton away. They picked up some valuable points away from home. And it almost feels like Sean has got a bit of a blueprint in terms of how to get at teams, how to attack teams away from home.
1: Yeah, it feels like the team's definitely more sure about what they are away from home. I think the Derby was a third defeat in 12 away from home. So, like that, you know, that is, you know, I don't know if we drew a lot of those games and you know, I think we've only won, won two of them. So, but that's go back a year ago to well, you go back to this time last year when we were playing this exact fixture and the away form, then it's it, it's a lot better. It's a lot more mm-hmm. of an improvement. And it does just feel like <clears throat> the way in which Daesh wants to play and the players he's got and the way they're suited to play, and it, it suits it suits them better. Um so yeah, it's it, it's gonna be an interesting one. It, sort of looking at the, the fixture list, it it does feel like we've got like a, a chance in the next week to to exercise a couple of big looming demons from last season. No, that, that fixture against West Ham last year, it, you know, I always remember being on the desk before the game, and that video came out of fans speaking to Lampard at the service station beforehand, and the look on Lampard's face—it was, you know, he, he looked like a ghost. And I think, yeah. by, I think by that point, we all kind of knew the writing was on the wall, and as much as it was being billed, like B said, as Moyes versus Lampard, exactly. The Gets the sack. They'll sack you, go. yeah. Um, it, it, you know, for me, and I don't, I don't want to speak for you guys, but for me, it just felt like that was a game that Everton were never going to win. Like it mm. just felt like at that point, like they were just going through the motions up until the point where someone made a decision that Lampard had to go, and 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 eventually it, it came, it came then. And and the other one is obviously Brighton, which we'll speak about more later in the week. But I'll, I'll never forget that fourth goal at, at Goodison and, and the way in which that transpired. That that feels like one we need to to put right, bloody hell. Um, but yeah, West Ham—they're interesting. I think they? they started the season really well, and it looked like you know they're not going to—they're not going to really miss Declan Rice that much. They seem to make a, a lot of good signings, but I mean they've won one Premier League game since September the first, and that was against Sheffield United at home. Uh, they've been conceded a lot of goals recently, um, so yeah, it's not not all well and good. Um, and I think that that stadium as well. I think you know. As much as a Sunday one o'clock is a bit of a nightmare, and you know certainly for you guys going down there, I don't envy you. I, I sort of look at it from a purely pragmatic, everything getting a result point of view, and it feels like quite a, a good one for us because because that stadium's horrendous, isn't it? Let's be honest. You know the atmosphere in there is, is you know, I imagine on a great European night like for West Ham, the atmosphere is not great because the way in which the stadium's set up. So on a sleepy Sunday afternoon, move forward an hour than what it would usually be to, to one o'clock anyway because of the the Manchester derby. Um, if Everton can go and, and do what they did against Brighton, do what they did against Brentford and get on the front foot and score early, then I imagine there'll be a collective shrug of the shoulders from, from everyone in Claret and Blue in there thinking, God, here we go again. So I think I think setting the tone is, is really important. And Everton, I've, I've been good at doing that. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I think that the plan is there. But I also look at West Ham and think if, if they play at the best and they play well, they're kind of like a, a bit of a better version of, of what we are at the moment. I think the two managers with similar ethos, with similar mindsets. And I imagine there'll be times in the game where they're sort of looking at the ball as well, going, no, go on, you have it. You have it. You, you come on to us and, and we'll counter-attack against you. So feels like one that could be very, very cagey.
2: I mean, what is quite hard to believe is that both that West Ham game and Brighton game aren't even a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lifetime ago, and it's not even not even me yet.
1: I'm Southampton, Connor. Don't forget that. Well, James Doppelons, of course,
2: coming up against scored two, free, scored twice, didn't he, on, on that Goodison afternoon? Yeah, so much, the most wonderful yeah. time of the year. Yeah. Well, not last fan. <laughs> but Chris Sean Dyche does face a big selection decision on Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Ashley Young sending off Anfield means he will have to make some change of some sort of tweak at right back. Nathan mm. Patterson is obviously the one favourite to come in, given he is a natural right back. But James Garner could also go back to right back, having played there towards the end of last season. Put yourself in Sean Dyche's shoes. Mm. What you doing?
4: Yeah, it's interesting. Well, like, um, you say that the thing... the thing. Nathan Patterson is obviously the, the obvious choice, but then what putting Garner in there does, it allows him to get other people in there, i.e. an interesting game back in, and he now to do that, It seems to be one who... Divides Evertonians. I mean, I actually thought that um, he, he got it right, the derby, and that I think James Garner deserved his chance to to start in the middle again, and if he, he scored. And again, same with um, Jack Harrison on, on the right wing, but it obviously transpired very badly. And that big part of the problem for Ashley Young was that Harrison just wasn't tracking back and giving him that support. I mean, he wasn't doing a great deal going forwards either. You know, you'd have thought that would be the area where yet again in a derby match, you know, it's it's, it's like when um, we did the goalkeeping situation, that infamous one uh, was it 2012 in the the FA Cup when Brad Jones' third choice was in, and they, you know they, they didn't pepper him with shots or anything. There was, you know, Robertson was missing at left back, and they, they just didn't get at him. And not only that, Harrison wasn't helping Young in a defensive situation. So you know, I, I'd have gone with that same selection at Anfield, but again, it yeah, messed up. So. I mean, personally, I'd like to see Garner continue in the middle. So for me, um, Nathan Patterson would would be the natural choice. But I just wonder with Sean Dyche, I just think that you know, maybe he'll think that you know the thing is with Patterson, he's good going forward, whereas he's just improve on his defensive side of his game. I mean, personally, like I said that that would be the choice I'd make. But you know, you can sort of you can sort of see that in putting you know he's talking already this season about how Garner is. Um, really helpful for him and, you know, his intelligence to play in these different positions. And you could maybe see that just to, to say, allow like, just a gate to come back in and centre mid. It's not that it's not the choice that I'd make, but I'm, I could see that happening. Joe, you
2: know, I think it'd be incredibly harsh to put James Garner at right back personally. I think he, he's done enough to warrant to stay in the middle of the park. You know, B says there's the obvious choice to put Nathan Batson at right back. But if one thing we've learned with Sean Dyche <laughs> in charge of everything is don't expect the obvious choices
3: <laughs> yeah you said it. i think the obvious choice is that james garner has moved on to the right side of the pitch mm. um i don't really see a way in which that's avoided to be perfectly honest
2: All right. um so i think right, you mean right midfield, the brought them right, right back field yeah.
3: or right back because i think that if sean dyche wants to bring in nathan patterson at right back or says well well good he's, he's increasingly experienced in the premier league sean dyche He tries to point out his mm. youth and that's and that's fair enough Obviously, he's, he's less experienced and more attack-minded than Ashley Young is. And so if if Nathan Patterson was to come into the right and to right back, I think that he would need more protection than Jack Harrison was able to give Ashley Young last week. I didn't think Harrison did a huge amount wrong. I thought he worked hard. He was just in a situation where he's coming up against just a very good side and he's chasing his tail a little bit. Um, so the option really is to either... You move Garner onto the right back to offer Nathan Patterson more protection or to say well Harrison has been largely doing well forever and he would maintain an attacking threat and therefore you know move James Garner right to right back so that you're not doubly exposed Um, and and I think that what I would probably do is I I would move James Garner to right back I I think that probably just need a little bit of a sense of perspective from, from at the minute and I think what James Garner has done over the past month, Aston Bill in the Carabao Cup game. Anfield, to a certain extent, certainly against against Bournemouth, is he's shown that he can do a job in centre midfield. Obviously, he's still young, he's still growing in experience that needs to be borne in mind. But I think he's won that battle mm. I, I, in terms of the long-term perception that says that you know, Sean Dyche now has four central midfield options to choose a free from, as opposed to at very much start of the season He's got three, and then he's got a James Garner who it will fit in as and when, very good player, but perhaps not with the same experience as as, as some of those others in, in, in the midfield. Um, so I think almost with Adrisse Gay having been on the bench and the vast amount of experience he has, the 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 option the option that sees the fewest square pegs in round holes sees Adrisse Gay come back into centre midfield. And then either Jack Harrison stay in right wing where he's also you know he's natural position and James Garner at right back, or you know, Patterson on the right and James Garner being, being on right midfield. You know, I I think that Garner, this, I think there's an argument, certainly in the absence of Seamus Coleman, to suggest that Garner is probably the best right back
4: mm-hmm.
3: in that available option available to Everton at, and to Sean Geish in in the absence of the club captain. Um, and I think, you know, it has to probably be a game uh, or a period where we put aside, you know, personal ambitions and, and loyalty to certain players and, and, and their form in certain places and go what's better for the team. Uh, and I think that what might be better for the team might be James Garner at right back, keep Harrison right midfield so retain that attacking threat, but you've got a bit of protection behind him and bring it just again, obviously, and establish established midfielder into the middle of the park. Uh, that's. That's probably where, where where I'd go with this, and obviously you know, West Ham are another side that do enjoy attacking down the wings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you like like it is, that they may be coming up against someone like Jared Bowen on this side. So the danger isn't quite as significant as it is with Luis Diaz, but there is still danger down there, and, and that's why I think a change is is inevitable. I, I think a, a defensive change is is inevitable on that right hand side because the idea of having Patterson and Harrison there would just leave. That
2: side of the pitch too exposed, I think. Matt, where are you lying on the right back conundrum facing Sean Dyche?
1: Oh, I'm, I'm full, full in on Patterson here. I'm, I'm with B. Sorry, Jim. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> if, if we're not playing him now, when are we going to play him? Uh, effectively, mm-hmm. you know, you've you've got a situation that like it, it feels like already we've actually young we've reached the sort of keen brand for weight threshold and like now it's like the young Patterson threshold where you've got an experienced player who is not playing well. I, I, I think I think he's been poor. Actually, young in the main since, since he's come in. It feels like teams have been targeting him. And a really good team we played last weekend targeting him, and he, and he got sent off. I think was that, was that his fifth yellow card of the season now. Well, he um, would have been suspended yeah.
3: anyway, even if he hadn't yeah. got
1: the second. So, goal, so. so he's, he's clearly fallible. You know, he can't really get up and down the pitch anymore. I don't think his defensive instincts are, are great anyway, because he's you know he's effectively a winger that's been moved back there. Um, so it, and I'm, I'm sort of reached the point now where it's like who would you rather play there, a fallible 38-year-old player or a fallible 23-year-old player who could learn and develop and, and grow? Like it, it feels like as footballers now, there's not loads between them. So mm-hmm. I'd prefer to, to play Patterson in that sense. And yeah, it's, it's just one of them. It feels like if, if we're not going to play Patterson now at the weekend with Young suspended, Coleman injured, like wh- when's this lag going to get a game? You know, from, from Everton's perspective and, you know, it's 12 million pounds we spent on him. It's a it's a significant amount of money for Everton to spend on a player. It's certainly in the current landscape of what's going on at the moment. Um, and I'm, I just don't think it send out the right message. And I mean, are we? I've heard a lot of people say about James Garner right back, but are, are we sure he's, he can play right back? I don't think he's ever played right back for Everton. he's played as a, a right wing back, which is, I think is a, is a completely different position. And when I watched the England the 21s in the summer, it was it was a right back in the same mold that. Trent Alexander-Arnold plays right back for Liverpool now, where it's pushing into midfield and getting the ball as sort of another central midfielder. It's not, you know, being close to your centre-back, tight in. It's not defending one-on-one against the winger, because in that tournament, England had loads of the ball. I think playing right back for Everton is completely different to playing right back for, for England under the 21s under Lee Carsley. It will be about defending. It will be about communication. It will be about trying to stop Jarrett Bowen as opposed to getting into midfield and getting forward and using that ability on the ball. And it, it would just feel a bit counterproductive to me to to have Garner and to have him finally in his best position, finally playing well, contributing with goals, contributing with assists, sort of burgeoning as like the, the main man in the area of the pitch. And then we lose one player and all of a sudden you, you're shifting them out to, to, to right-back again and bringing Idrissi Gay in there. When I think the balance in midfield has actually looked pretty good with, with him and Anana after a, a ropey start to that partnership against, the, against Doncaster in the Cup. So... It, it would just feel counterproductive for me. I don't think it send out a, a great message to, to Nathan Patterson. But listen, I I don't know what Sean Davies is thinking. He might he might look at Nathan Patterson and think I I don't fancy you at all. You know I I, I don't think you're capable of going to to West Ham and, and dealing with Jared Bowen like you said uh, before, Joe. But I, I, you know we we keep reverting back to that Brighton game and, and the blueprint that day and, and how Everton got that that five one win. And Patterson played up against Maturima that day, didn't he? And did a great job and and shut him down. And I think one of the frustrations for for me last weekend in playing Ashley Young ahead of Patterson was that Patterson, ironically, did a great job on Diaz, didn't he? In that 0-0 derby at the start of last season. He he shut him down really well Mm -hmm. and was man of the match that day. And he was sat on the bench while Ashley Young was was chasing his tail. So I think think now is the time for Patterson. Um, He's fit. No, right backs are available. Just, just give them give them time, give them give them time and chance to make mistakes and, and time to develop. And hopefully, further down the line, we'll see a better footballer. Is the Joe a possibility that Everton might play
2: three centre backs and bring Michael and know Michael Keane? Obviously, give away a penalty, but bring Michael Keane in and go, you know, with a five-stroke three at the back. And Sean Dyche might just think, stay tight and and, and, and you know, keep it, keep it locked in almost.
3: Yeah, I think there's definitely a possibility of that, and. and yeah that solves some of the problems mm. if, if nathan patterson plays a right wing back Obviously, got more protection around him because he's got a, a third center back and if it means you know bringing james garner into that position well you know as, as matt said there, it's a position he played against bournemouth and, and did very well in, in, in that game so uh i think there is a real you know i don't think sean dyke will be too fast by Michael Keane, giving away that penalty. You know, I think he is a player that the retained Dyche's trust, having worked with him for so long during during the course of his career. And it, yeah, so it's 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 definitely definitely a possibility. Um, like I say, I think with gar- with the with the right back situation, if he remains four at the back, you know, it, it's I think it's a slightly more complex scenario. In just mm. saying, Patson's the best option there because I think you have to think about what, what's going to go in front of him. And I think. Patterson and Harrison, whilst it'd be, it would feel quite attacking, um, and that would feel dangerous. I think, um, given what we saw last week, so it's as I say, I think it, I think it's probably less a decision to be made on. I think Garner is or James Garner has already proven to people and taken a big step towards in a fully fit side, fully available side. He's in that centre midfield, but I wouldn't be surprised if moves him to the right either as protection for Patterson or you know to to sit right back and perhaps be a bit more conservative but then to also offer his delivery from deep which hasn't been great when he's kind of played in that role for, for everton um, or he he's sat further back but i think he has a, a far greater potential to kind of deliver for Dominic calvert lewin from a deeper position than, than perhaps Patterson does so
2: chris there was some big claims made earlier this week i think it's safe to say by the daily telegraph who said that Everton could face a 12 point deduction if they are found guilty in the latest hearing with the Premier League over financial fair play. Not ideal timing by any means. Obviously, the hearing got underway last week. Yeah, quite the bold claim was to say that Everton could be deducted 12 points. If they not, they're not even on 12 points as things stand.
4: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and it must be stressed, I mean, um, I was very disappointed a lot of the way other outlets were reporting this. It's been a bit of a carte blanche to say almost like that decision has been made and the mm-hmm. where would Everton be with and uh, various stuff and there's been sort of inaccurate reports about Everton's spending it's been very dangerous but yeah it's not a good position to be in but we'll stress like we said and um we're basing our reports on and um, information obtained by joe obviously we did the piece there with the joint byline joe can speak when it's it's his turn. when you you'll ask him in a moment but um yeah, um, it was just the Premier League history. Um, Portsmouth are the only um team, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, to have actually had a points deduction for a uh, not non- Middlesbrough,
1: Middlesbrough got one yeah. as
4: well. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say for a non football decision, I think Middlesbrough, yeah, yeah, they refused to play a game, I think they, they had like some injury crisis or something, and they they, they pulled out. So, yeah, from a non footballing perspective, it's owned in Portsmouth, and that was for actually entering administration that season, and they got ducked 10 points. And they would have finished bottom of the table anyway. Um, so, this is very much a, a worst case scenario. It's not the Premier League who are deciding this, it's the independent panel. That's the whole thing. That seems to be everything that our understanding any sort of decision here in terms of the length of the, how long the case will take and um, how it will be uh, structured and the ultimate decision in um, the fact, how, um, if Everton, of course, are found guilty on their one charge. Um, Is the independent panel so maybe there's a bit of brickmanship going on here? I don't know. Are the Premier League wants to send out a certain letter, sort of a certain message? You know, Matt's spoken about that. If you want to ask him next, of what he thinks might be going on here, but yeah, um, the the headline, of course, 12 points. But when you actually even read what the Daily Telegraph was saying, they were saying that a maximum, um, so, um punishment of up to 12 points so that's the absolute worst case scenario we've ever and found guilty and i think we're, no it's not a good position to be in even being you know up against this but I've got to have a bit of perspective here about um um what where everton stand and of course everton have always been adamant that um uh, they were going to fight their corner vehemently, and then they don't think they've actually done done anything wrong. So, yeah, there's a lot. There's, a, there's also obviously the, the option for um uh, to appeal once a, if the decision uh, does go against them. So it could run and run this one, but yeah, I'm I'm more concerned about the way that, like I said, the other outlets have reported. It's almost like yeah, they're going to lose twelve points, and that that's on on the horizon. That's a very sort of dangerous um, game to play.
2: Martin, you know Sean Dyche talks a lot about you know lowering the noise and you know a lot of noise around the club, but that noise with stories like this is only going to grow and get bigger and bigger.
1: Oh yeah, and it's been a it's been a great headline, hasn't it? For for a lot of places that are reporting this from about the same sort of nuance that the Chris and and Joe and yourself has this week certainly, yeah. Um, but you know, I think it's it's just important to, to stay calm at this, isn't it? Just to echo what B said there. As much as the prem the pre, Premier League, you can recommend the 30, 40 point deduction, but ultimately it's not up to them, is it? It's up to the mm. independent panel. And um, yeah, I, I just found that the timing of it all really strange this week, if not a little bit disrespectful, certainly given what's happened, you know, the, the tragic news everything about this week and the time and this story came out it sort of left a, a bit of a bitter taste. But I just and listen, obviously this is very speculative on on my part as well, but I just wonder if this is the the Premier League sort of getting their message out there now, in a sense that they can say to to all the clubs that have been complaining about Everton, they, they can they can point at this and go, well, look, we we wanted this, we we, we wanted a twelve point deduction, don't don't come at us, don't don't kick off at us, you know, this we we wanted a strong punishment, but it's just it's just frustrating, isn't it? That you know, we we've got to sit and, and wait and see now, effectively for. we we haven't even got an effect like a a deadline, have we, or a a date where it's definitely going to be confirmed? And I don't know. I I just want to throw this out to to you guys as well. Just something I was thinking about with when Bees was speaking there. Like, say, say if the worst thing was to happen and Everton were to get a a twelve point deduction, like, what what would that mean in terms of like games this weekend? Like, obviously we're sat here now in limbo, and we and we don't know what it's going to be. So in one. Context: A point for Everton would be a great result this weekend, wouldn't it? And and we'd be happy to come away from the London Stadium with a, a draw. But in, if we knew we were getting a 12-point deduction, all of a sudden it'd be, well, we're going to have to go for this a bit more and be a bit more attacking and be a bit more on the front foot. Like this, this sort of limbo and you know, panel purgatory, if you will, that we're in at the moment is, is not really helping us because if Everton are going to get a, a, a point deduction, you'd rather know as soon as possible so we can go about trying and make up that ground <laughs> as opposed to just. Sitting away and one year, it's a bit of a weird situation.
4: Well, there seems to be no sort of um, because it's unprecedented as well, and um, the power is with the panel about when these points would even if they, you know, if Everton are found guilty, if there is a points deduction, when that would even take place. Is it retrospective? Because this is talking about something that happened in season 21 22? Is it the current season? Is it a future season? I mean, we don't even know answers to that at, at this particular stage.
2: Mm, I think it's where point Osborne, obviously. Two words that chris or two senses that chris said there about if and if and what matters then and staying calm is the right thing to do because at the minute no one knows it's unprecedented and you followed this extensively and, and, and you know done a lot of groundwork into how, what's going on and there's not a lot clear is the in terms of what's going on and where things stand but what's worth noting is that until the independent commission deliver their verdict everything is possible, essentially.
3: Yeah, I mean, th- that is fair. Everything is possible. And, and also, I think that because no one really knows what the allegation is, in mm, the TV, cool. I mean, there's been some speculation, but, but no one really knows. And even if we did know, we probably, you know, unless you've got forensic insight into Evans' accounts and the mm. conversations that they had with the Premier League in and around the time and any guidance they might have been given... Uh, we know they were very closely, you know, without, without knowing that it's difficult to say, you know, how bad it is. Is it, is is it an accusation of they've stepped over the line in a gray area or are they being accused of doing something incredibly egregious? Obviously the club deny everything. But I think the most important thing at the minute is probably just to take a little step back and unravel even what the telegraph said, to be honest, because, you know, it was very much a case of recommend up to 12 points. Well, you know, there are another number of caveats in that first and foremost. The, the commission, not the Premier League, have got to decide whether or not Evan are guilty of any wrongdoing. So, you know, that is a, a case that they have heard the evidence and, and are now deliberating on the verdict for. But they've still got to decide that Evan have done something wrong before they even get to that stage. And and then the next step is obviously Premier League, you know, the wording is up to 12 points. Yeah. But up to 12 points, you know, starts at one and ends at, you know, 12. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. there, there could be, and you see this in, you know, in, in, most adversarial processes you, know, you see this in the courtroom quite often you know when you get to the end of the case and you know someone's up to being sentenced it will quite often be that the prosecution will set out what the maximum can be and then the defense will set out their mitigating circumstances and go for the most minimum and mm-hmm. you know the judge will then weigh everything up and, and 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 come down somewhere somewhere in between um yeah so a lot's got to happen before ever even get to a point of seduction in in the first place and i think that's worth that's worth bearing in mind. I, I do think that you know, this has been problematic the way in which this information and these claims have come out this week. Uh, timing isn't particularly great, particularly as you know, the Premier League, bearing in mind that that, that they lodged the allegation against them in the first place. They they're the one they're the group of people that have known the ins and outs of this case for what, seven months now, probably a lot, obviously a lot longer before they even decide to decide to pursue it. So it's very likely that they will have known that if if Their position was having should be you know given a 12 point deduction or up to 12, they they will have known that for months now. So, to for that line, to if, if they are briefing that line privately to certain people, that we can't have come out the day after Bill Kenwright's passing when it could have come out at any point in the last oh, five yeah. months. If they want to get that message out, is is incredibly problematic for you know for obvious reasons. Um, and I think that the problem, the big problem around this process, I touched on it last week. Before we knew about all this in in, in me column. And I'll, I'll do similar again, I think, probably for, for Saturday's column as, as well. Is because there's such little information about this process, you know, we don't know the allegation. There's no precedent. So we've got no kind of time frame or no guidelines for which we can judge our own expectations from this. But because there's such little information out there, it leaves a vacuum for, for speculation. And that's also problematic. And I think the You know the integrity of the Premier League is also on the line here in relation to this. Obviously, that of Everton's is, but certainly the Premier League's is is as well. And and one thing that we can't allow for this situation to become is a PR or a political or an optical stunt for the Premier League, where they're trying to say, "Oh, look, you know, we don't need an independent regulator in the top flight of the national game because we've got everything in order." Well, you know, they can't really be seen. They shouldn't be trying to make an example. Of, of Everton, they should be submitting the information that they've got, and they should be leaving it to what is supposedly an independent p- panel to judge upon that information and then come up with a, yeah, you know, with a with, with 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 a fitting punishment if they get to a point where they believe that the wrongdoing is um, is needed, and you know something like up to twelve points. I mean, that, I mean that would be huge, huge, huge punishment yeah. uh, for a start, and, and crucial to anything that comes out of this, and it hasn't been the case so far. Is, is, is transparency and openness because the Premier League are going to have to come out and explain what it is that they should come out and say what the allegation is to a certain extent what the arguments were and what the thought process is in, in any decision-making process and in any decision-making process over the sanction if, if one's deemed necessary otherwise the process won't have any integrity whatsoever and I think we're you know we're in a period at the moment where the reputation of Premier League is only going heading in a track downward trajectory whether you, know, you look at something like this, or whether you look at um, some of the recent takeovers that we've had in the game. Whether you go down to, I know it's a slight separate, but you go to some of the refereeing decisions and mm. state of VAR and the way that's impacting. So you look at the fixture list and yeah. the way the games are being moved at such short notice. Obviously, Arsenal someone for but I mean, the you know, you look at the announcements this week of, of, of a Christmas Eve yes, game, which just feels absolutely, you know, sacrilegious. Um, and what? we need to be alive too and i think asking questions about is is making sure that everton aren't being seen as a as a vehicle for which the premier league can try and you know make some case to say it's got its own house in order at any cost mm. you know everton can't be the scapegoat the excuse the you know or you know the martyr for 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 the premier league to be making its case to say that everything's okay because yeah, that's that's obviously problematic and you know, Everton's fate lies in the hands of the Premier League to some extent over a number of issues. Obviously, technically, they don't oversee now this process in relation to the the, the tribunal. It's the commission that decide on it where any wrongdoing and any punishment, if necessary, but obviously, it's a process inspired by the Premier League. But also, we've also got the fit and proper owners test that they'll be overseen in relation to 777. And this is a time, really, that Everton fans, more than ever, need the Premier League to, yes, be robust, Um but also, to be fair, and yeah, the less information there is about any of this, the more room there will be for speculation, for speculation over the integrity and, and the ambitions of the Premier League and where I can fit within them.
2: No, I think that's spot on, Joe, and it's one that we'll be closely following over the coming weeks and months because I think there's going to be lots of And more. it could
3: be weeks and it could be months because, yeah, you know, i have ask a question uh, and they <laughs> say, if they, you know, I go, well, <laughs> is there any time frame decision? They say, well, yeah. the commission decides, uh, you know, yeah. so... That's it. Will any pun- I've asked whether or not any punishment would be put into play for this season in which the verdicts delivered. In they said, well, the commission will decide. Yeah. I don't think it'd be retrospective, because um, because that would be a nonsense. But um, and, I, and I think that the the position again, for the integrity of the process, it would feel like it would probably have to come in this season. But again, you know, unless we have any insight really into how these decisions are being made, we have got no idea, you know, no chance of understanding them. So.
2: Joe, I'll stick with you because you wrote this morning, or ah. on Friday morning as we speak, that Abdullahi Dekore is closing on and signing a new contract at the club. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a player I think it's safe to say it was a bit of a rebirth after Sean Dyche arrived been being frozen run. out by I, by Frank Lampard. But I think just rewards for a series of impressive displays towards the end of last season and the start of this season. Yeah, it's
3: a remarkable transformation. Obviously, frozen out of Frank Lampard's side after the, the power to break down in their relationship. And... You know, I think he's someone that most people probably, with his contract having initially been due to expire last season, uh, last summer. I think that even by the beginning of last season, I think there was probably a sense that he would probably have gone in the summer. Mm. You know, a big contract, an aging player, and one who's, you know, in, impact at the club wasn't clear either way. How you would judge him at, at, at that point? I remember sitting down with him in Washington. Um, during the pre-season tour ahead of, ahead of last season and being struck really by how well he spoke about his love for the club and how he, you know, he came out. He said, I want a new contract. I want to be at Evan for the, you know, for the long-term future. And I believed him when he said that. Um, and I'm quite pleased for him in the fact that, he, you know, it felt like at that time he was probably partially saying that because it wasn't clear whatever option there yeah. would be. But you know, he he definitely warrants that now. You know, He was... You know, him and it's an argument between him and Dwight McNeil to say who was the most valuable player from the Sean Dyche and keeping Everton up last season. You know you remember remember his early goal against Brighton, obviously one of the biggest moments of last season. You we all remember his stunner against Bournemouth as well. You know he's already a person that is in Everton folklore. Perhaps not an icon or a legend or anything yes. like that, but he's he's the, sealed. Yeah, he definitely can't be a legend. No, cause, no, no. Cause class He's as cemented well. his place in Everton folklore. Whatever happens, an interest in the you know to a certain extent, he's continued that form Mm. this season. You know, he scored three goals in nine games already from from a centre-field on the side that is creating more chances but still finds it difficult to hit the back of the net. So, you know, I I think it's a sensible decision. I don't know the ins and outs in terms of whether or not there might be a a reduction of his pay Mm. because it is significant. Uh, I'd hope that Everton were at least trying to look at, at, at that. I think it's also indicative of just where Everton are at the moment as well. Yeah, the reality is that it would cost Everton more, far more money to try and, f- and effort to find a player to replace him who would have anywhere near the same impact as him yeah. than it would to keep him at the moment. And I think that's important to bear in mind when you look ahead to next time, when his current deal is out, it, it runs out, because Everton have a significant number of players who will be out of contract. And trying to firm up, so the position of some of those players who are known quantities is the safest route for everyone to go down mm. financially and logistically. So I think it makes sense in, in, in a, in a number of ways. And then, you know, we spoke there about the potential, a potential point reduction for everyone. Well, another potential punishment would be a transfer embargo or a transfer mm. ban to some extent, you know, obviously not in 12, but that would be a very, that, that would be a profoundly significant punishment for Evan next summer given the amount of players that they would have left in their squad after contracts expire so you know getting the house in order with a couple of players like this makes a huge amount of sense i i I think at the moment i think he's probably a player that i think we've all been surprised by the extent of his impact and the continued impact positive impact that, that he's had I think he's probably a player that I think if the club were in a better state, you'd probably say, well, 30, you know, maybe go into 31, 32, 33 by his contract, big wages, even if they are reduced Um, A player who whilst extremely effective can only really play in in Mm -hmm. one way. I think he's probably a, a player that as you look to progress up the league, you'd maybe look at saying, well, is there a better option there? Yeah. But Everton can't do that at the moment. I think he's, within his, his performances on the pitch this year so far, he he merits it, but then I also think that there are a lot of other reasons why this is a sensible move for Everton.
2: Be you with Joe, do you think it's a sensible decision to give Absalai a new contract?
4: Yeah, I'd like Joe's outlined those uh, reasons why that. He, he certainly it, it has been, a, as Joe said, a player play been reborn under dice after you know the bizarre way things finished for him under Frank Lampard. He claims to I don't know. Only he knows what really went on. But he says he he he, did, he didn't understand what what yeah. went wrong there. And you've all
2: spoken a fair points in which he's basically yeah, that he done anything to ever upset Frank Lampard. Yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> um, maybe he's keeping his counsel on that one. But yeah, whatever <laughs> happened there under the current manager, yeah, he's been he, he he had a much bigger impact. Certainly, like I said, those tangible um, um, factors of, of goals, which is, is, is so important from from that area, the way. He's, Able to pop up on a you know regular basis for somebody in, in, in his position, so yeah, yeah that it, it makes sense, doesn't it? Then um, turning down, it's good to have somebody like that one in you know established Premier League player. um happy to commit his uh, future to the club.
2: Matt, do you think this is again a bit of a clear example of you know Kevin Fellwell being a bit forward thinking, a, a bit you know looking at the bigger picture and think well, you know we we can't really afford to lose someone like his experience who can still do a job at, a, at, a, at such an uncertain time as Joe alluded to him
1: yeah yeah maybe I don't know actually maybe it's just more like an, an opportunistic thing where they just sort of had a chat and gone we're happy with you are you happy with us yeah mm-hmm. let's let's just sort it then like I, I don't know like you know we don't I don't think you know that both lads have said that I don't think it's going to be like a long-term plan by any means to call right what is he now 30, is he 30 now I think or yeah, 31 yeah so you know he's he's going to be around for probably another well two three years at at his peak so I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is long term plan. Maybe it's just opportunistic. But um, I, I just think he's a really funny player. Like in terms of like being quite peculiar and sometimes actually just quite funny as well. <laughs> like <laughs> I, 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 I love how like when he scores, like he does like four or five different celebrations at the same time. You'll kiss the badge. You'll pull his shirt up. You'll do a knee slide. Like you can't quite settle on on one defined celebration. Like I always remember at the end of last season when. The final whistle blew, and it cut to the core. And he goes to take his top off, and then decides not to do it, and then does something else. It's like, (laughs) but um, but he's the classic uh, to use a a cliche. He's the classic too much time player, isn't he? I think he's a player that when he when he plays on instinct and when he does things one touch and quickly, he can be really effective. But. You think back to that opening game of the season where he's running through on goal against uh, Fulham, and he can Ooh. can square it one way or take the shot himself, and you can almost see the the gears churning in his head. And, and the longer it goes, the more unlikely it is for him to to um, to, to make the right decision. But now he's he's an effective player, isn't he? Somebody who works really hard in this setup. Um, I think we saw at the end of last season when he was out the side how how important he is to to the way in which Sean Dice wants to play and and has scored loads of big goals for us certainly away from obviously one big one at home but but loads away from home as well he, he's chipped in with so um no no real issues for me. And I suppose the other sort of comfortable thing as well with all the, the doom and gloom around finances and you know talk about you know impending doom and all that that sort of stuff is the I'm not sure Everton would have committed another year to a player who's going to be on well, well close to a hundred thousand pounds a week would you say you'd be on now the on, on that contract if they were really worried to the extent of you know talk of tends to talk of like administration that sort of stuff would everton be offering that kind of deal i don't think they would so that that in itself as another added layer is is sort of encouraging too i think
3: yeah i think another layer to that as well is going back a couple of weeks to jab randquake deal as well jab mm-hmm. randquake is someone that was already on a long-term contract with everton and as much as they might have wanted to secure him you know, psychologically and give him the boost to say that he's wanted and pleased with how he started. You know, he signed a new contract. It's hard to imagine there wouldn't have been a pay rise within that. And that was something that didn't need to be done. You know, they they still had, I think he had two more years plus an option of a third on his contract even before the new one done. So it's not as if any club would have been in a particularly decent position if they wanted to come in. You know, everyone still would have had the cards if someone coming come in for him in January, so.
2: Right, gents, I think before we finish, it's predictions time. Obviously, Chris Beesey hit an L in the head last week, where is Anfield. Well, Anfield prediction for all the wrong reasons? I think we should. it should be added. But these I'll come to you to start with that. Well, London, London Stadium.
4: Well, uh, yeah, me and you going down there, yeah. Um hopefully it's going to be it's going to be better than my last couple of visits there. Um, on the Frank Lampard, I'd, I'd, I'd say, uh, like we said, uh, Matt uh, alluded to uh, a point would be welcome and I'll, I'll go for 1-1.
1: 1 more. Matt Jones. Do you know what? I've, I've quite endu- quite enjoyed being indignant about referees all week. And like we've done this sometimes after derbies where we've had positives to take from it and then we go into the next game and just let any momentum slip away, really. Um, but I, I, I fancy us on, on Sunday. I think West Ham have been under the radar, struggling. They've had that game in midweek and I think away from home will suit us. So I'll go, I'll go for a 2 1 win for the Blues. You want?
3: Joel Thomas? Yeah I'm going two 0 to Everton. Two 0 I'm going I'm going for a fast hard start against fatigue, compl- complacent West Ham. James Garner sitting in at right back, supplying balls into the channel, <laughs> <Donald> Calvert Lewin. <laughs> and the uh, <laughs> game plan working.
2: Well, you've stolen my thunder because I was also going to go for So, it's a, not often we get a full house, I think, of positive results because I think people would still take a 1-1 draw if that comes <laughs> as well. Um, but no, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. We will, of course, be back on Monday to accept everything that happens at the Stadium. But for today, thank you very much for joining us.
4: You've been listening to the Royal Blue podcast, The Liverpool Echo.